Are beavers really worth a damn? These furry agents of change create and maintain essential wetlands. No one's going to argue that they improve their environment for the better, but I'm starting to think that they change the lives of the people who work with them as well. Let me show you what I mean. On the line with Amanda Parrish, who's the Watershed Program Director of the Lands Council in Washington. So why don't you start out by explaining how that relates to beavers for our listeners who don't know anything about it. Okay. Well, the Lands Council is an environmental nonprofit, and like you said, based in Spokane, Washington. And the mission is to preserve and revitalize inland northwest forests, water, and wildlife. So one of our big programs right now is our beaver program because beavers do all of those things. And um, what the Lands Council has been around since uh, 1983. And we, I think one of the reasons we've been around so long is because we're able to adapt our programs to mm. everyday issues. And yeah. so um, this, the Beaver program began in 2008 as a response to a bill that was passed in Washington State uh, basically saying that Washington State needs to store an additional 2 to 3 billion acre feet of water because of climate change prediction models and because of um, increased demand from downstream users with a relatively fixed supply of water. Wow. And all of these proposals were for large-scale human-made dams or water storage projects. Mm-hmm. And uh, my executive director, Mike Peterson, got to thinking, I feel like there's a different way we can do this. There should be a better solution in this day and age. Um, and somehow uh, thought of beavers and then realized that there was a whole lot of research that had already gone on wow. around this subject. And yeah, and how, really how did you personally come to get involved with that? I, um, after college, moved up from San Francisco, moved to um, the Coeur d'Alene Indian Reservation in northern Idaho, uh-huh. and Spokane's pretty nearby, and when my internship in forestry there was up, I landed an AmeriCorps position at the Lands Council as the Restoration and Volunteer Coordinator. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I first started the position, the Beaver program just began, and it was this kind of really exciting time for us. And my supervisor said, if you're interested, you can be involved in this Beaver <laughs> program. And I said, yeah, that sounds great. And um, and then I think it just had a lot to do with being in the right place at the right time. My supervisor yeah. moved on to a job at a wildlife refuge, and so I ascended into um, sort of managing the beaver program in its early stages. Now, and why why were you interested in being involved with the beaver program? What appealed? It sounded so fascinating. Uh-huh. It sounded like the best sort of restoration application I could think of. You know, I was uh-huh. really interested in sort of um, biologic engineering and using you know, looking to nature to solve problems and not trying to engineer something that is counterintuitive to natural processes. So hearing about using beavers and their dam building activities to do all this wetland restoration and water storage sounded like the smartest thing we could possibly do. Uh (laughs) And and when your AmeriCorps dime was done, you decided to stay on as an employee? Yes, yeah. So um, luckily, I was really involved. We had a big report to turn into the Department of Ecology following our initial feasibility study in 2009 where we were just trying to look at available habitat and the average amount of water stored by beavers so that we could maybe try to apply this 
beaver solution to water storage problems. And I, because my supervisor left sort of at the end of the year, I ended up doing a lot of work on this report, and I think my executive director took note of how enthusiastic I was and offered me a full-time job. And what what would you say is the best part of what you actually do during the day? Oh, well, it depends on the season, I guess. But, um, you know, it's no surprise that it's a lot of fun to have beavers in my backyard. Yeah. (laughs) In the the summertime, um, my colleague and my partner, Joe, and I uh, trap nuisance families of beaver and hold them in our backyard and... It can be stressful, like being, you know, first-time parents to a litter of newborn beavers. Um, but it's also so fun. It's so fun to sit outside in the summer and eat dinner with the beavers, <laughs> listen yeah. to them, and um, so so that's wonderful. But then, in outside of the summer, I think I really enjoy. We have a big outreach and education component, and I really enjoy being able to talk to you know, really interested landowners and agencies and people really come around pretty quickly once you yeah. find the benefits of Beaver. And um, it's it's so pleasant that I'm able to solve sort of the human Beaver conflicts and I have some great answers for people and everyone sort of just goes along with it. And <laughs> what, great. What, what don't you like? What's not fun? Oh, um... You know, interestingly, I love having the beaver in my backyard, but it's also can be really stressful. I mean, uh-huh. it's, my job is, you know, on the line and these animals' lives are on the line and, you know, it's yeah, it's a lot of work. So it's, all, it's my favorite part and the hardest part, probably. Right. Not necessarily that I dislike it. It's just hard. Yeah. Um, and uh, are I, they I actually guess- hard to take care of? Or is it more of the worry that something will go wrong? I think it's the worry that something will go wrong. It's not, we haven't ever had a problem, you know, getting them to eat or Mm -hmm. anything like that. But it's hard. We get just so stressed out. They cuddle together all day long and they're in this big beaver pile. um, And then we kind of get, you know, are they going to overheat? You know, why why can't, you know, it's summer in our backyard. and, And it's sort of the things where I don't know if, if our worries are actually even necessary, but um, yeah, you know, usually we take the approach of they can probably handle themselves and they don't need a lot of our help. Right. Um, but at the same time, we get worried. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, tell me, tell me if you can remember about the first time you saw a beaver. What was it that surprised you? Anything that you didn't expect? Yeah, the the first time I ever saw a beaver was in. 2009, okay. when I was first doing the um, the feasibility study. So before we started the relocation and beaver management aspect of our program, um, like I said, I, I, as my AmeriCorps term, drove all around Washington State looking for existing beaver dams to measure the amount of water stored behind the ponds. And yeah. um, went out to this one, found, found a location sort of in the middle of Washington State where there was a beaver dam, and the landowner there said it was... This dam was probably a hundred feet wide, if not more. Uh-huh. It was huge, and this the landowner said, "You know, I actually just my or my neighbor just stuck a ch- 
chair right in the middle of the dam because it's so solid. And he goes out there and watches them in the <laughs> evening. You should go do that. And so, um, so I went out there and walked across the dam to the center of it, and it was sort of in these canyons of the um, of the, the Cascade Mountains, and uh, and all of a sudden I heard what I thought was someone throwing a 30-pound rock into the water. Just a giant kerplunk. And I knew that beavers used their tail to warn um, warn their family against predators and that sort of thing. But when I heard that sound, I didn't think it was a beaver tail. I thought it must have been a rock. It sounded so forceful. And then I looked around, and about 20 feet from me, maybe even just 10 feet from me, was a beaver swimming back and forth just watching me and slapping wow. her tail occasionally and um yeah we just sat there together and bats started coming out and sunset across this autumn oh it was so beautiful yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was pretty magical wow wow what would you say if there's another person listening to this and they want to do what you do they want to they want to figure out how to be involved in beaver um, relocation and reintroduction as a as a tool for the habitat. What should they What should they train as? What should they Who should they talk to? Well, I think the important thing to know is that, like probably all problems in the real world, solutions aren't always easy, and there's a lot of obstacles uh-huh. that come up that that you don't anticipate. And so, what we've learned is that if we really want to be able to use beaver as a tool for restoration and water storage, it's not as simple as relocating nuisance families or even keeping beaver in the watersheds where they are by fencing trees or appeasing landowners with culvert protection or that sort of thing. We have a pretty multifaceted approach that also includes riparian habitat enhancement because beaver habitat is just too fragmented and they're really occupying most of the available habitat. So for a program to be successful, you really need to look long-term and do some habitat enhancement. You need to do the actual beaver management um, and then always outreach and educate landowners and see if there's a need for policy change so that this science that's, you know, that we all agree on is actually translated into some policy. Um, That being said, as far as training for relocation and and that sort of thing. Um, Joe and I, you know, talked to as many people as we could and found Sherry Tippy's document. Um, and you probably remember the name, but it's the, her document that she put out last year. Oh, uh, the, the Working with Beaver booklet. Working with Beaver yeah. booklet, yeah. Um, is a great mm-hmm. is a great resource for anyone just yeah. trying to learn how yeah. do I set a beaver trap, you know? Right. That, that was great. Um, right. Otherwise, you know, I mean, it's just, there's so many of us, and I'm so glad that the beaver workers across the United States are uniting more, and I hope that this series helps. (laughs) I I hope so, too. Um, Um, You know, you recently had a massive, great article in the Wall Street Journal, and so I'm wondering, when you looked at that, was there anything that you thought they didn't say or that you wish they'd included? I think... The problem with a project like this is the media is always going to focus on the handling and relocation of beavers because it's so darn cute. <laughs> and there's no way around it. It's, it's a great media story. But, um, you know, it's not to really, it doesn't capture all that we do, like I had mentioned before about riparian habitat enhancement or policy yeah. change. And also, you know, there's even been papers done on 
researching success of animal relocation, and it, and it points out that the media is always going to make a big splash over, no pun intended, over um, <laughs> over the actual relocation, but following up on if that relocation is successful or not, no one's really interested. That's not as fun. But um, that's a really important part of it, making yeah. sure that the work that we do, learning from it. So if it's not right. working, what can, how can we improve our relocation efforts? Yeah, yeah. What was great about the Wall Street Journal article is following that um, I was contacted by the Living on Earth program, a radio program on right. NPR, and for the interview I did with them, I was able to direct it right. more and explain, you know, it's not just about relocation and really emphasize the fact that we actually want to keep beaver where they are mm-hmm. um, and yeah. not offer relocation just to everyone who thinks they have a nuisance case. Well, Amanda, I want to thank you so much for doing what you've done on behalf of Beavers and for talking with us at Agents of Change. I I hope this interview series is is helpful to people thinking about this work. I hope so, too. Thank you for organizing this.